Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, I want to welcome you. If you're not new, I want to welcome you back. We're in week five of our series in Ephesians, Glorious Grace, the grace that we just saw in that video that gives us life and the grace we're going to talk about today that, that motivates us to give our lives away. And so that's what we're going to dive into. And we are going to dive right in. So grab a Bible if you have one. If you don't, there should be one on a chair near you. If you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, we love it that you're here. Ephesians is just in the, towards the back of your Bible. If you don't want to scroll through and look for that on your phone, or if you don't want to page through and look for that in your Bible, you can go to the table of contents and search it there. We use the English standard version. If you're looking at that on your app. We want you to look at the Bible. Even if you're new with us, this is where God's power is revealed to us. It's in his word. It's not in my words. It's in his word. So you need to see for yourself what he is saying. So we're going to dive right in. Ephesians chapter 3. Sal read it earlier. It starts off with this, for this reason. And you see that and you want to ask, well, what, what reason? Well, Paul has just been explaining this union. This radical union that would have taken the Gentiles, who we talked about last week, who were so far off, they're outside the temple courts, right? They don't have anything to do with God. They're not supposed to be in the temple with the people who are holy and who have something to do with God. They're far off, and that God has brought those people who are far off near, and that he's taken the people in between, the religious He's taken the rebellious. He's taken all those people, and he's brought them near. If you were here last week, that's what we talked about, that God has brought the far off near through the blood of Christ, that he's making everyone one in him. And so if you look at this, Paul's just been explaining that. And so he says, for this reason, he's a prisoner. And what I love about Paul is he doesn't say he's a prisoner of Rome, which is where he was located at the time. He doesn't say he's a prisoner of Nero, who was the emperor at the time. What I love about Paul is he says he's a prisoner for Christ. You see, the idea of being a prisoner was that someone was in complete control over you. You think about being in prison. Someone tells you when to eat. Someone tells you when to wake up. Someone tells you when you can go outside, when you have to go back inside. Someone's a functional lord of your life. And I love Paul because as he's writing this, where is he? Prison. Right? Who's over him? The emperor of Rome. These officials. I'm sure he had a guard outside his gate. He has a lot of people who are functional lords of his life, telling him what he can do, telling him what he can't do, as he's writing these words. And Paul says, I'm not a prisoner of Nero, of Rome. I'm a prisoner for Christ. That he's lord of my life. That he tells me what to do. That the message version, they can't hold me down. Right? Paul's saying, they can't hold me back. I'm ultimately a prisoner for Jesus Christ. You see, as we've talked about in Ephesians, this word, this phrase, in Christ, is mentioned throughout. You're in Christ. Chapter 1, you're in Christ. Here's what that means. You're chosen, you're blessed, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're sealed. You're in Christ, that your identity has changed. That for you this morning, if you know Jesus, if you've placed your faith in his life, death, and resurrection, that the things people say about you, they don't own you. The things people have done to you, that doesn't own you. The things you've done to yourself, those things don't own you. Not if you're in Christ. You're his prisoner. You're his. You're his. No matter what anybody else says about you. 
the most important person in the universe has come to you and said, you're, you're mine. Do you see that? So whatever's going on in your life right now, whatever bad experiences you've had, whatever maybe somebody said to you this morning that's still rattling through your thoughts that you can't get out, that's defining you in this moment, you need to, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be reminded that you are his, no matter your circumstances, no matter if you're in prison, that God is in control. And you see, Paul had this this special connection with, with the Gentiles. And he's letting them know that for a specific purpose. He's letting them know that because Paul led most of these people to Christ. You can read about it in Acts chapter 19. Paul was in Ephesus. He helped start the church in Ephesus. And so most people had either encountered Paul or heard of Paul, and he was the conduit of God's grace in their lives. He was how they, they knew about Jesus Christ. And so Paul is reminding them that even though I'm in prison, I'm your leader, I'm the one who led most of you to Christ, the one you guys are looking to, that I'm in prison, but I'm still God's, that he's still in control of me, and he's in, still in control of you. And that's what we need to see in those first couple verses as well. And you see, he had this special connection I mentioned. The special connection is he's in prison on their behalf. You see that in the text. And and maybe you're wondering, why is he in prison on the behalf of the Gentiles? Well, if you pull back a little bit, you see Jesus and the way Jesus lived his life. You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the way Jesus lived his life. He not only got around sinners, Jesus ate dinner with sinners. Jesus didn't just get close to the leper We read in some occasions Jesus touched the leper, which we were never supposed to do, and healed him. That Jesus went to the people, the far-off people, the people that typically had nothing to do with God, that he went close, that he broke every social barrier. And not everybody liked that, right? Not everybody was a fan of Jesus, specifically the Jewish people. They said, no, 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 they have to follow all these requirements of the law. You can't touch the leper, he's unclean. And Jesus would say things like, no, you don't understand. You missed the point that all of that stuff in the Old Testament, that points to me. That, that, that I'm the fulfillment of that. That all of the blessings that were promised in the Old Testament, that I complete those things. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you go through me. You don't go through a law, a tradition, or a heritage. And they killed Jesus for that. Okay? And so Paul is proclaiming that Christ. He's proclaiming that message. He's building churches around that message. Do you see that? And so he's in prison on their behalf. And specifically the Gentiles, again, if you read Acts 19, you'll read about the Gentiles and some of the things they were involved in. It talks about magic, idolatry, riots. That specifically these people would have known and other people would have known the gospels for these people Paul, are you sure? The people that do magic, the people that are deep in idolatry, the people that are experiencing riots, that, those people that are far off, like no longer is it just ambiguous. These are specific people that people knew how they lived. And Paul is saying the Jesus who ate with sinners, the Jesus who touched the leper, that same Jesus, he's come for you. And that he's proclaiming that. He's carrying out this message and he's in prison on their behalf. They had a special connection. Paul is saying, I am for you, and Jesus is for you. And if you think about that, 
they probably would have doubted that at times. Remember, as we read this, we have chapters and verses, right? As they read it, they didn't have that. This is a letter. Most likely a letter they would have read all at one time. So these churches scattered throughout Ephesus and around Ephesus, they would have circulated this letter and they would have read all of Ephesians at once. And as they read the portion right before this about Jewish people and Gentile people becoming one, about the far off being brought near, that everybody's part of this family, that you're not only a son and daughter of God on high, you're a brother and sister in Christ. If they would have just read that portion previously, they may have still wondered. Like, Paul, are you sure? Are you sure we're all in? Are you sure we're not JV and the Jewish people are still varsity? Like, are you sure we're not in coach and they're in first class? Like, as they're reading this letter, they would have wondered, like, like really? Like, is it, it's, it's all one? Like, near? Is, are, you sure, are you sure, Paul? Is, is that really true? And so he's going to go on to tell them why that's true and why they can be assured that it is. Keep looking at the text with me. With me, You see this word, mystery. Uh, that word's mentioned four times total, three times in these six verses. And, and typically, as we think of a mystery, we think of novels, we think of John Grisham, we think of dark alleys, and it's spooky, right? Some of you like mysteries, that's what you think of. Biblically, it's not so much like that. That Biblically, it literally just means something that wasn't previously revealed. Something wasn't previously revealed that was always there, but we didn't know it was there. Does that make sense? And so he uses this word mystery four times, and he's going to play this out to let them know this is how you know you're assured. In the first way we see in verse 3, that it's a mystery that's been made known. That twice it says it's something that has now been revealed or through means of revelation. So this mystery, something that wasn't previously known, is now made known. And that's a key part of their assurance because it's not a new idea but an old idea that's just now been made known. You see, this is important. You see, God's not evolving, right? That's a common idea in our culture that as culture evolves and goes down the road, that God evolves with it. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches, that God's not evolving even in this case, that he's not looking back at the Old Testament and thinking like, well, I was really kind to the Jews. Maybe I should share the wealth with the Gentiles. Well, I've kind of played favorites for a long time. Like, maybe I should go over here and bless these people. That God's not adjusting to the culture. That this has been the plan from the very beginning. Verse 11 says that this was God's eternal purpose. It's just now being revealed through Jesus. That Jesus is grace fulfilled. That Jesus on the cross, he completes the Old Testament blessing. That it's been revealed by the Spirit the third person of the Trinity, Paul says. So it's been revealed by God. This is God's plan. This isn't something Paul made up. This isn't something God decided to change his mind. This has been God's plan from the very beginning, and it was revealed to the apostles and prophets. Those are the two highest offices in the New Testament of the church. And so Paul is making the case to the Gentiles. If you ever wondered, if you were reading this and maybe doubting, you need to know that this comes directly from God, that he set this in motion, that Jesus would die for you in your place, for your sin, to reconcile you, that you don't have to wonder, that it's revealed by the Spirit of God 
through the people of God, through the apostles and prophets, and that this could give them assurance. So it's a mystery, but it's now been revealed. Look at verse 4. It's a mystery that involves Christ, the Messiah, the Savior has come. Verse 6, it's a mystery that he came to everyone, even the Gentiles. And he mentions three results of that. Look at the text. He mentions that now they're heirs. Right? We've said this before. Who are heirs? Who gets an inheritance? Kids of rich people. Right? I don't know if my kids are going to get an inheritance, but kids of rich people, they get an inheritance. They get what's entrusted to them by their parents. And so Paul is saying, you're heirs. You're not JV. You're not riding in coach. You are first class. You're going to get all that God has promised to us. You're going to get that as well. You're, you're heirs. Secondly, he says they're members. That's alluding to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, they're not just reconciled to God. They're reconciled to each other. That They're legit members of this family. They're all equally a part of it. Three, they're partakers in the promise. That because of all that, they get to experience the blessings we read about in chapter 1. So they are adopted, right? They are redeemed. They are forgiven. They are sealed. That there's no looking at people's past and thinking, well, you're a Jew. Well, you're a Gentile. Well, you dabbled in magic. Well, you didn't. You obeyed the law. You rebelled against the law. There's none of that. He's saying you're all part of this family. You're heirs. You're members your partakers, that you can be assured, you don't need to doubt that God came for you, that you're his. Paul is making that case that grace has been fulfilled, that there's a mystery, but Jesus is the solution to the mystery. We see grace fulfilled. That's our first point. Our second point is that grace is displayed. Look at verse 7 with me. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So we see God's grace displayed through two ways, through Paul and through the church. Verses seven through nine, we see it through Paul. Paul says, I'm the very least. He says it's a privilege. Even though he's in prison, he talks about grace. Because Paul knows who he was before Jesus. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. And Paul took him who was persecuting Jesus and said, you're gonna proclaim Jesus. And Paul was very in tune with that, and so it was God's grace to him, even though he's in prison. And some of us hear that, and we think, well, that's amazing. It's amazing that Paul could be in those conditions in prison and say, God's grace to me, the very least, is so great. For some of us, we read that, and we think, that's amazing. Like, how could Paul do that and say that? For some of us, we look at that, and it's annoying. Right? You're like, really, Paul? This is God's grace to you? You're in prison, and you're, you're talking to people about Jesus. You're saying, you can lock me up, but I'm still going to share the gospel. Some of you, that's annoying because you think, that can't be genuine. But see, when we, when we feel that, even if we don't say it, when we feel that, we miss the blessings that Paul has experienced. 
We miss the grace fulfilled, displayed in him. That Paul took him a persecutor of the church, and now he's a proclaimer of Jesus. That Paul, even though he knows at some point he's going to die, he knows that's now his game because he gets to be with his heavenly father. That Paul knows that even if he's in prison, his purpose doesn't change. That his soul is content and at peace because of what Jesus has done for him and now through him. That we've said before that if you know Jesus, that you have the world in checkmate. You can't lose. Why? Because God is on your side. The God of the universe was on Paul's side. And so he can talk about grace in prison. Not because he's trying to show off, but because he's seen what Jesus has done in his life, that grace is on display through Paul. It would be like if today one of the most notable members of ISIS that you heard about that guy leaving that group of terrorists, leaving the persecution that he was involved in, and coming over to Jesus. And not only coming over and staying silent, but that guy now coming over and starting churches around Jesus, proclaiming peace instead of cruelty. It would be like that, that that's what Paul is describing. That's his background. God has completely transformed his life. And so he can say, this is God's grace because I know God because I can't lose. His grace is on display through Paul. But his grace is on display as well through the church. It talks about the church, look at the verse, as the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold literally means the brilliant, multicolored wisdom of God. Can you see that? That it's not through, listen, it's not through the government that the manifold wisdom of God is revealed. It's not through a policy that the manifold wisdom of God is revealed. It's not through your success at work through a new invention, through money, through power, that the manifold, God of, the manifold wisdom of God is revealed. How is it revealed? It's revealed through the church. This brilliant, multicolored wisdom of God is revealed to us, and how does he choose to do that through you? And some of you think about that and you think, really? I mean, you look at your life and you think, really? Like, he, he's, he's choosing to reveal his, his brilliant, multicolored wisdom through, through me? I mean, Tim, do you know what I've been involved in? I mean, do you know how hard it was just to get up this morning? <laughs> I mean, do you know what I said when I stubbed my toe on the Lego? I mean, do you really know what you're saying, that the, the manifold, the brilliant, multicolored wisdom of God has been revealed through you, that you are the church, the church is not a place, the church is the people, that it's been revealed through you? So some of you look at yourself and you say, really? Some of you look at the church and say, really? Maybe you've had a bad church experience. Maybe you've seen corrupt leaders and you think, really? Maybe you've seen churches that have divided over things like where we spend the money and are we going to sing hymns or praise songs? And maybe you've seen all that and you're like, this is the way? Like, God, are you sure that your brilliant multicolored wisdom is supposed to be revealed? You see, as you look at the church it's not that we all get along, right? It's not that we all get along. It's that when we do disagree or don't get along, it's that we forgive. It's that your past, you have one, right? Everybody has one, that it no longer defines you, that you've experienced grace. 
And so you extend grace to others. It's that when we have conflict and difficulty, we reconcile. That that's why the church is the manifold wisdom of God. You see it in the Jews and the Gentiles. He's broken down dividing walls, every one of them. He's brought them together as a family. He's done that for you. That is the beauty of the church. That most of us, if you think about this, most of us came into the church because we had issues, right? Your marriage was on the rocks. You were looking for a job. Your finances were in the dumps. You experienced a lot of pain in life. And you said, I I don't know what else to try, so I'm going to try church. You see, just like the Jews and Gentiles, they came in with different baggage. You and I, every one of us in here comes in with different baggage. and, And Christ is uniting us to be the brilliant, multicolored wisdom of God and to put that on display through you. In your marriage that's on the rocks, in the midst of your job hunt, in the midst of your pain, God is bringing us together. And so listen, just think through this with me. If you have people that come into a place and become part of a family that that have difficult marriages, that have struggles with finances, That the very reason that you're here, partly, is because of that. That if you bring all those people with different personalities and different preferences and different backgrounds, do you think there's going to be conflict? Yes, right? That you could look at the person next to you and say to them, at some point, I'm not going to like you. (laughs) Right? And do that real quick. And just look to the person next to you and say, at some point... I'm not going to like you. Some of you were too quick to say that. You got too excited about that part. But at some point, you're not going to like the person sitting next to you, but look at the person next to you again and say, but I still love you. Say it. Yeah. If you said, I I might not like you at some point, you should say, I still love you, right? You you see, what makes the church the, the brilliant, the multicolored wisdom of God is not that we're all the same, is not that we share all the same affinities, is not that we always get along, right? You bring a lot of people in a room, you bring a lot of people together, we're going to have issues. It's not that we're all the same, it's not that we're removed from conflict, it's that when we have conflict, we come together around Jesus Christ, amen? That we still love one another, that we still work with one another, and, and we see glimpses of that, right? We see glimpses of that even in our church, that in our community groups. We have eight community groups in our city that meet across the valley. They go into homes. Some of you are new to church, and we talk about community groups, and you're like, I'm not going there. (laughs) I mean, you think about, I'm going to go to somebody's home that I don't really know. What's going to happen? Are they going to shine a light on me and ask me what I did over the weekend? Like, are they going to interrogate me? Are they going to make me feel uncomfortable? And you're wondering, like, what's going to happen? I'm going to go in somebody's home. I'm going to eat dinner with them. I'm going to talk about my sin. I'm going to get encouraged and challenged in the body of Christ in a home. What's that going to be like? And those of you who have experienced that, you're like, I know what that's like. And it is messy at some times, but I'm here because of that. Every time we just celebrated two years as a church, and every time we talk about and celebrate what God has done, the word, the thread you always hear is community. And I got connected to these people, and because of that, I'm growing in my faith. 
that I was alone, I was depressed, I was lost, but now I know these people, and they've come alongside me, and they've called me when I'm hurting, that when I got that diagnosis, they were there with me, that when I'm struggling, they're saying I'm praying for you, and they actually do it. That's a hint of the brilliant, multicolored wisdom of God. That God's taking a diverse group of people and he's unifying them. And we've seen some of that. But listen, not all of you are experiencing that, right? Some of you aren't in community groups. And so there's more that we can experience. Paul is painting this picture that this is brilliant. This is multicolored. So we've seen a hint of it, but we can see more. We have a couple, a family in our church that lives in Honduras. We sent them out a few months ago to be missionaries. I talked to the father on Thursday for about an hour. And he talked about how they have rats in their house. He talked about how they have bats in their attic. He talked about how they don't have a a car to drive around and explore Honduras. But he also talked about how they take this bus and they get to ride with these kids. These kids that live at a school where they don't have parents. It's essentially an orphanage, a school for these kids that they're feeding them, they're taking care of them, they're teaching them. And they get to get on this bus for an hour there and an hour back each day. And some of the girls braid his wife's hair. And some of the kids he gets to play sports with after school. And he gets to talk to them about, even though you don't have a father on earth, you have a heavenly father who loves you and will never leave you. And he talked about, despite our living conditions, despite our culture shock that they are still experiencing and you need to pray for them, that we are so glad we are here We're so glad God prompted us to do this. Listen, that is a glimpse of the brilliant, multicolored wisdom of God on display through the church. After church today, we're going to have a foster adoption meeting. Somebody from Christian Family Care in our city is going to come and tell us how we can be involved, how we can support those who are involved, those who are even in our church. I read a stat yesterday that 19,000 kids in Arizona's foster are in Arizona's foster care system, 19,000 kids. There's less than 10,000 beds available. And so somebody's going to come and talk about how we as the church, the brilliant, multicolored display of God's wisdom, how we can come alongside that. That's just a hint, right? A, A few of us will stay for that, right? But not all of us. So it's just a hint. There could be more. There could be what Paul is describing. Yesterday morning, we did this thing called Unite Phoenix where we showed up to the park right behind us and everybody served and people intersected with people that are homeless, people that are refugees. We got to hear their stories and people dispersed and they were the body of Christ. And you see a hint of the the brilliant manifold wisdom of God. There were some PBC shirts out there. We took pictures together, we prayed together, but a lot of us weren't there. A lot of us didn't experience that. It was amazing, but it's just a a glimpse. It's just a hint of what Paul is describing. You see, as we celebrate all those things, all the different ways we've seen this, we need to see that there's more, right? It's the brilliant, it's multicolored wisdom. That what if all of us had been there yesterday? What kind of dent could we have made? That what if all of us participated in community groups? What kind of connection could be had? What kind of repentance could be seen in our lives and experienced? That there's still more, that Paul is painting this beautiful picture of the church, that God's wisdom and his grace is going to be put on display through you. And listen, two years in, we've seen a little bit of that. 
We saw it last Sunday. After church, we celebrated with chicken and waffles. It was glorious. We celebrated with ice cream and cake pops. And I went around, and what I saw and who I talked to was old people and young people, urban people and suburban people, people that were tatted up, and people who don't even know what that means. Right? I saw little kids bouncing in a bounce house. I saw little kids wanting to vomit because they ate too many cake pops. I saw my little kid running into the parking lot. Right? And you see all these different kinds of people. And as I would walk around and talk to some of you, what I would experience and what I would see is people laughing, people talking. I saw one person praying for someone else, holding their hand. And you see, old and and young, urban and suburban, tatted up, and I don't know what that means. All together, talking and laughing at tables over food. Why does that happen? Because of Jesus, you are the manifold wisdom of God, that he's putting that on display through you. But that's just a hint of it. That's two years in. What could God do five years in, ten years in, if more of us participated in that, if more people from our city and our community were sitting at those tables doing the same thing? This is just a hint. We need to celebrate. Listen, we need to celebrate that we're seeing this take place, even among us, but there's more. You see, there's a lot of problems in our country right now, right? There's a lot of problems in our city right now. And and many of us look to a solution, you need to know what Paul is laying out is Jesus is the solution to the mystery. He solved it through the cross and through the resurrection, that he is uniting people, and he's bringing a church to do that. Do you see that? So we often look around and we think, well, what, what policy could, could help this? I mean, how much money could fix this? You need to know, none of that is the solution. The, the solution is Jesus Christ, that by his spirit that he's indwelled in us, that we get to be his church, his brilliant multicolored wisdom. And if we would just be that, if we would just be more of that, if we would be the picture that Paul paints, that there would be healing, that there would be forgiveness, that there would be reconciliation, that there would be progress, that if we would just see more of that, if the church would just be the church, listen, that's where we need to start. We need to get that right first. Saturday morning, we need to come out and serve our community. We need to hit the alarm and get out and go do that, right? We need to stop posting on Facebook and have a conversation with a person. Isn't that that amazing when that happens? We need to forgive. We need to own instead of blame. We need to come together. We need to be the church more than we already have in the past two years. We need to partner with other churches to see that happen. What if that happened? What if the church was the church? I guarantee you we wouldn't be looking to the next president to solve our problems. If the church was the church, we would see the effects of sin, spiritual, emotional, and physical pain. We would see that healed. We would see that progress. We would see people unite. If the church was the church, it's the manifold wisdom of God. It's brilliant. It's multicolored. An old biblical scholar named F.F. Bruce said this, that the church appears as God's pilot plan for the reconciled universe of the future. 
You picture that? It's his pilot plan. This is his test case. Right? This is what's going to reveal to us and to the world what the future is going to be like when Jesus comes back and makes all things right. When he reconciles the entire universe, he's playing that out in you. In the way that you treat each other as a family, in the way you experience friendship, in the way you experience business and economic practices, in the way we do race relations as the church and come together despite our ethnicities, despite our backgrounds, despite our traditions, in the way we come together, that God is pointing to a future where everything is made right and everything is reconciled, and he's doing that through you, the church. It's a multicolored display of God's wisdom and grace. We need to see more of that, amen? The third point is, is grace embraced. Look at verse 11 with me. Verse 11, it says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He talks about the eternal purpose. We mentioned that earlier, that the church brought together in Jesus was always the plan, right? That what you were experiencing now was part of the plan. That some of you who have been here since the beginning know that church planting, and that's what we are, church plant is, is hard, right? Some of you wonder, like, why does that guy on stage cry so much? I know. Um, because church planting is hard. Being a part of the church is hard. Some of you have experienced that. But what you've also experienced is this multicolored display of God's grace and wisdom in your life. And that you could go through every person here and you could go through and be like, how did you make it here? <laughs> how did you move from Indiana, find our church on a website, and step in our doors in downtown Phoenix, right? Yeah, raise a hand. You know, you know who you are. How did you come to another part of the valley? You live in suburbia and you drive 20 minutes to downtown Phoenix. How, how does that happen? How do we have some, some older people in our church and some younger people in our church, and we're all singing the same songs? And it's like, it's loud, right, Bradley? It's loud in here. You guys are banging on the drums. It's loud, and all of you guys are, are singing, and you're, you're talking afterwards, and you're sharing life with one another. And maybe you've wondered, like, this is really hard. Like, is this really supposed to be happening? Yeah. This is God's eternal purpose. He designed it this way. He set it up this way. There is no plan B. You are plan A. Like all of these things were supposed to happen, right? All of you were supposed to, to gel together in the heart of urban Phoenix for God's glory and your good. And that we should be amazed that this was God's eternal purpose and we get to experience a piece of that. This has always been the plan. It's just now being revealed to us and we can take comfort. The Gentiles would have taken comfort in that because none of that hangs on us. It's entirely on Jesus. It's not about our family heritage or theirs. It's not about our works or their works at the time. It's not about the Gentiles' ability to follow God's law or your ability to follow God's law. It's about Jesus, that he has brought us together and that through our faith in him, this text says, we have boldness and confidence as we access God the Father. That God the Father has sought you out, that he sent his son to save you. That he's done that for you on no merit of your own. That he pulled you out of your merit, out of your self-righteousness, out of your works, good and bad. That was the eternal purpose, is to bring you together around that Jesus. That 
the Gentiles, as they read this letter, they would have been assured. They have boldness. Paul says, look at the text, they have confidence as they access God. You don't have to doubt it on your worst day. You have it. And it's because it's around Jesus that it was the plan from the beginning. Earlier this week, I was at the hospital visiting uh, a father of somebody uh, from our church that was a part of our church at the beginning. And my wife and I went up there, and uh, his dad had a massive stroke in the left side of his brain um, isn't working, and they're wondering if he's going to be able to recover to where it will. God, I think in his late 50s, really healthy, no physical issues, and this has happened. And so his entire family is there, and we went to see them and pray with them and talk with them. And as my wife talked to his wife and his kids, who we, we know, the one thing that stood out, and this is what we told them, is you guys seem so at peace. I mean, his, his, his wife... The wife of a person who just had a massive stroke at late in his 50s is telling the doctor, like, I know you guys are diagnosing it this way, but you don't know our God. That, that his wife is, is listening to the uh, process of how, how we're going to help him and recovery, and we might have to put something in his gut so he can eat and all those things, and he's got to swallow. And, and they said, just give it a little bit more time. We're going to pray that he swallows. And she was bold. I mean, she was bolder than I was. I was like, are you sure? Like, I think just let the doctors do their job. And she's like, no, we got to pray. They put a CD on with all these scriptures of God's healing, and they combined them together. They burned them on a CD, and they were playing it on repeat in the hospital room. And as you talk to these people, it didn't seem like their father just had a massive stroke. They, they, were, they were bold. They were confident. They were at peace because they knew that their father, their husband, was in God's hands. They knew that he was in control. They had assurance that this is part of God's eternal plan, and God's going to do something with this, right? You see that, don't you? That, that maybe not in an extreme circumstance like that in your life, but maybe in just little circumstances in your life that you have, no matter what is happening to you physically, emotionally, and spiritually, that you are you're God's, you're a part of his family, that you have the world in checkmate. You can't lose because God's on your side. So you can be bold that when you embrace grace, you can be bold and confident in any circumstance. That's what we saw in that family. That's what you can experience in your life. Verse 13, he combines these two words, suffering and glory, two words that we don't often compare and we don't often put together, but the New Testament often does. It's a theme you see over and over. But Paul says something specifically. Look at the verse. He says that, that I'm suffering for your glory. Paul is bringing us back to how he started, that he's a prisoner on their behalf, that this is for their benefit, that they get to know God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. They get to be a part of the church, the brilliance of God on display, that you are now his dwelling place, his instrument of redemption in the world. And so on the surface, maybe things seem bleak, but don't lose hope. You have confidence in Christ. He's proclaiming that to the Gentiles, and he's proclaiming that to you, no matter what your background or experiences have been. That there is a suffering that he's experiencing, that we'll experience in life, but ultimately it's for our glory that we'll get to know Jesus forever and ever, that we get to be a part of this thing. We're not second-class citizens. There's not a 
first class and a coach. There's not a varsity and a JV. We're all a part of this thing. And Paul's suffering is bringing that about. Our suffering brings that about, that we get to experience this glory of knowing Jesus. So how do we live this? I want to just give us a couple ways as we close. The first question I want you to ask yourself is, how can I point myself to this grace? How can I point myself to this grace? This grace that's been fulfilled in Jesus, this grace that's put on display through people like Paul, through people like you, through the church, and this grace that is embraced, that you get to have confidence. How can I point myself to that? And as you think about that, you would want to think about what is owning me right now? What are the thoughts that I can't get out of my head? What are the feelings that are crippling me? You know those things when you're sitting at the dinner table and your kids are trying to talk to you, and and they're like five minutes in telling a story about school, and they're like, Dad, are you listening? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the glue and the stickers. (laughs) Adora. Because you're thinking about something else. You're thinking about what happened at work. You're thinking about conflict. You're thinking about your finances. What is owning you right now? You need to look at that, you need to repent of that, and you need to see God break that through his grace. That you are God's, you're his prisoner. That nothing else should be owning your thoughts right now. No matter what anybody says about you, what people have done to you, what you have done yourself, how can you point yourself to God's grace in your life and be his functionally in your life? That's the first question. The second question is, in what ways are you helping point people to this same grace? In what ways are you part of the solution to the mystery? In what ways are you being the church? I said it earlier. We've seen a lot of amazing things through individuals, through collective, our body of Christ in Phoenix at PBC. But it's just a glimpse, right? It's just a hint. Like some of us are experiencing that and some of us are hesitant, right? Some of us are stepping out in faith and some of us are like, maybe maybe one day. Like some of you are thinking about staying for the foster care meeting, but you're like, well, does that mean we have to sign up right then? So you, so you leave, right? Some of you thought about coming yesterday to serve our city, and you thought, well, it's Saturday morning. I heard rain, right? Rain in Phoenix. You're like, we've got to stay in bed. Like, shut everything down. Like some of us are experiencing this, but there could be so much more. How are you stepping out in that? How are we being the church, as Paul describes it, and seeing the effects of that in our city and in our nation and in our world how can you step out and be a part of that to help point other people to God's grace to his solution to the mystery let me pray father in heaven I thank you for this morning I thank you for this opportunity to gather with these men and women who are different who are from different backgrounds but that you say about us you look at that and you say how am I going to display my wisdom and you say it's going to be through people like this not through the people who have it all together, not through the people who obey all the rules, but through everyone, no matter what our experiences. God, I pray that we would celebrate how we've seen that in our own lives, how we see that in the Bible through the Jews and the Gentiles, and how we can see more of that, that this is your brilliant, multicolored wisdom on display, that we've just gotten a glimpse, a hint of that. God, I pray that you would help each one of these men and women to point themselves to that grace today. Maybe they need to adore you and sing to you and celebrate to you. 
and stop holding on to bitterness. Maybe they need to ask forgiveness from someone else. Maybe they need to reconcile with someone else. Maybe they need to start serving and join a community group. Maybe they need to take one of those steps. Gotta pray in these few moments that you would help them realize what steps do I need to take to point myself to your grace and to point others to it as well, that you are the solution to the mystery. God, we celebrate and sing to you because of that. We participate in your work because of that, because of Jesus. This is a truth that transforms our lives. God, I pray that we would let it this morning by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.